the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. First Amendment issues in real time. And then we're joined by David Drawl from Hope Beyond Bridges. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Friday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Aubrey, you made it to Friday. Feels you like a big deal. made it to Friday. The sun is out. I'm now 46, so I'm going to bed early lots tonight. Has, lots has happened this week. It is, uh, but I'm about to say something. This is going to be the ultimate jinx. Are you ready? Oh, no. Yes. I, I don't know. I think we finally turned the weather corner. 70 degrees, mid, early, mid-May. Sort of wish you wouldn't have said the next, it, If you look at the next week, it's all supposed to be in the 70s. Like, I'd be really okay. surprised if okay. we went back to a 48 and, cla- like, raining or something. You know what's so funny about that is we, I, I think, like, a week or two ago when we had that, it must have been two weeks ago, we had that beautiful weather, glimpse mm-hmm. of spring. Mm-hmm. I packed away all of the boys' winter <laughs> stuff, and they had to pull it out again this week. So I hope you're right. I hope one of these days I put it away, and I don't have to pull it out until next year. But That's let's really until the end of the year. But let's see. But you know, I if it snows again, that one's on me. Okay, it's your we'll fault. We'll call it the jinx. I so. like it. All right. It feels like lately we've been talking a lot about the First Amendment. People's. Mm-hmm. Uh, Needing to stand up for people's ability to say things, even if they are objectionable, even if you don't agree. Uh, But don't you feel like, tell me if you think I'm right. It really feels like something weird has happened in our society where it's such a us against them feel that people do want to shut down the them from speaking. Uh, I oh, want yeah. First Amendment rights for me. You cannot you tell can, me what I'm going to say. Right. But the whole basis of freedom of speech is, Ari, I could disagree vehemently with you. But I'm going to fight for your right to disagree with me. Right? Yeah. Help people yeah. understand why yeah. that's so important. Fighting for the people that you vehemently disagree for their right to say what you disagree about. Yeah. I mean, why is it so important? I it. Partly selfishly, it's important because you don't want the tables to Mm -hmm, turn on mm -hmm. you and you don't get to practice free speech yourself. I mean, I think that's part of it. Part of it is this nation was built on free speech as a value. And and we don't this is where it's so strange. We don't want to get into like sort of a weird Fahrenheit 451 censorship. Who gets to decide because the problem ends up if we say no, you don't get to say what you want. I do. Mm-hmm. Who's the who's the gatekeeper? That and is, the problem oh, is, is the gatekeeper may or may not be someone who aligns with you and your values. And so I do think like part of what it means to live in our nation, and and I, maybe even be Christian. This is a little bit debatable, I suppose. But it is like I'm going to fight for your right to disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fight for my right to play the Beastie Boys as much as I want to. I'm going to fight for your right to disagree with me Mm -hmm. publicly. That's that is. And that doesn't mean treat me like garbage and vice versa. Like there's civil discourse and disagreeing with dignity. Like I think those have to be staples of this conversation. 
But to just <sighs> shut people off completely, what happens when it's your turn? There are obvious things where, where we as a society, our courts have said that that's outside the bounds of free speech. Absolutely. Yelling fire in a movie theater. Yes. Right? For instance. Yeah. But great example. when you ask who are the gatekeepers, the reason the First Amendment exists is because without it, the gatekeeper is always the, the government yeah. and the majority yeah. government. The people in power become the gatekeepers. They are yeah. the gatekeepers. Yeah. That's a segue to our state, kind of to the north, right? North and west, Minnesota. Uh, arguing COVID came from China could land you on Minnesota's government bias registry. Oh, interesting. According to a new bill. So let me give you a little bit of background. It hasn't happened, but let's okay. give a little bit of what the debate is. Minnesota State Rep. Harry Niska, Republican, asked during a debate on a new bill whether praise for, quote, Harry, uh, for Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling or arguing that COVID originated in China would qualify as biased speech that would put citizens on a government database. Hmm. Minnesota lawmakers are mulling a change to a state law that would log alleged bias incidents even when they aren't considered a crime. The bill would allow people to report perceived bias-related incidents such as alleged slurs or verbal attacks that would fall outside the hate crimes compiled annually by the State Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. And so uh, this guy said it seems very clear based upon their focus on motivation that they're more concerned about what's going on in people's heads, Mm -hmm. which is protected speech, and that's thought crime. I never Mm -hmm. even thought of thought Thought crime. crime. Here's the thing. Like – you might disagree with the things he brought up, right? Where COVID came from or yeah, whatever. Yeah. He talked about, you know, there being even a level of slurs and bad things that aren't even considered hate crimes. Yeah. They're just bad. Yeah. The question is, can the government go anytime you hear government and list, <laughs> I'm gonna go, no, no, we can't go this. And people might be wondering, man, I, I would have thought you guys would think here's the deal. When, for me, when it comes to the First Amendment, the reason – let's be selfish about it. The reason we need to stand up for everybody's freedom of speech, the reason we need to stand up for everybody's freedom of religion, for their religious freedom, is for self-preservation. Because yeah. if they go after that religion, who says in 10 years they're not going to come, come after, after ours? It's the same reason, while though it sounds antithetical, it's the same reason we don't think the Ten Commandments should be hung in the it's public schools. Right. Because if – Okay, if you're going to do that, then you got to hang whatever the every other religion's version of the Ten Commandments is up in the public schools. So you're making a choice. It's mm-hmm. either all or nothing, yep. I suppose, is what. The, it, here's where I do. I, I struggle a little bit because I, I did see in 2020 how connecting COVID to China created all sort of anti-Asian hate, hate crimes. I mean, I think the crime rate against Violent crime against the Asian population, especially the East Asian population in 2020, I wrote about this in my book, Known, it went up to like 101%. Like it was wild how it was magnified because of that and and by certain leaders in our country calling it, you know, the China virus or whatever. So I can see how if you go down the line of some of this stuff and it becomes hate speech and violence, it's really no longer protected speech, right? But to start at like, this is what's so complicated to say someone shouldn't wear like an I love Harry Potter, I love J.K. Rowling shirt 
that's going to get them all on a list. Now we're in, again, we're going back to that weird Fahrenheit 451 territory yeah. with like book banning and this censorship. Other, it's very this, bizarre. This lawmaker who's behind this said, when pushed exactly by that question about if I were to wear just an I love JK Rowling shirt and someone sees that and reports them to this uh, department, would they be put on this bias database? And you want to know how she answered that? I do want to know. I'm not going to say yes or no to that question. Okay. That's scary. And you do bring up, you know, the ramifications of stuff. It's not even in the future. It's in the present. Now. It's now. If you were to to just speak the orthodox Christian view on sexuality, you're going on that list. Yeah. Yeah. You're going on that list. Yeah. And you are now part of this issue. And that's why uh, whatever you believe about things, you, you we have to stand up. But what we get wrong now is we only stand up for the people we agree with. Well, I think that's where that's where it gets. This you is, truly believe it's a this. complicated issue because I agree with you, Brian. Like then we get it wrong by like, oh, it can only be us saying our Christian values and our. No, no. no. If you're going to be about free speech, you have to be about it for everybody. Not only things you disagree with, but things they say about you yeah. and about yeah. the faith. So. Yeah. Gosh, keep the government out of these things, free speech, Mm. religious freedom, Mm. and the like. Coming up next, David Drawl. He is the executive director and co-founder of Hope Beyond Bridges. This is a phenomenal ministry to the homeless population in Houston. We're going to be excited to talk to David Drawl next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. We do a lot of things on this show, Aubrey. One of the things I enjoy most is bringing on people uh, who are doing just interesting, good work that you may not hear about. We like to use our platform here to hear just some of these encouraging and inspiring stories. With that in mind, we're excited to bring on the executive director and co-founder of Hope Beyond Bridges, which is a ministry to the homeless in the city of Houston. His name is Dave Droll. Dave, how are you doing today, man? I am blessed. How are y'all today? We're doing We're really great. well. We're doing great. Let's start just hearing about your ministry. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Hope Beyond Bridges. So Hope Beyond Bridges, uh, like you said, so we are a street-level homeless ministry. So we focus on predominantly uh, what we consider the chronic homeless. So they've been homeless greater than uh, a year. Uh, most of our, of our folks have been homeless for three, five, uh, ten years. Uh, that struggle, almost all of them struggle with some sort of alcohol or drug addiction. Um, and our, our, our goal, weekly goal, is just to build relationships with them, uh, to look for opportunities uh, through those relationships to share the gospel and just to see the, the Holy Spirit come in and change their want-tos. Mm. Oh, just love that. And Dave, give us a give us a picture of what it actually looks like when you say street level homeless ministry. I know part of what you're doing is literally cooking meals, delivering meals. Talk to us about the kind of what it looks like day to day. So we we go out uh, on Saturday. So every Saturday and, and by God's grace, this Saturday will be our 747th consecutive Saturday. Wow. Wow. Houston. So um, we, we partner with local area churches and we'll prepare a hot meal uh, in their kitchen. And then we go out with their congregation uh, as our leaders and our volunteers. And we literally take the food to them on the street mm. under the bridges. 
uh, and we will serve them a hot meal. We'll provide them hygiene kit. Uh, we will we will take requests from them for felt needs as well as prayer requests, uh, and just get to know them. Just love on mm-hmm. them where they are in the middle of their mess, the same way God loves us mm-hmm. in the middle of our mess. Dave, I'm sure you're a busy guy. So why do you do this? What started it? What what kind of got you going in the first place? And why do you continue for 700 plus Saturdays in a row? Well, it is it is absolutely a God thing. I mean, uh, I can tell you 15 years ago, my outlook or thought uh, about the homeless was very different than it is today. Mm. Um, I would say very much similar to... Um, you know the general public you know they're they're there because of their own fault it's their you know their own doing their you know etc and god just really he just he got a hold of me he gave me the eyes to see them i was transitioning out of uh uh, cardiac medicine into medical device sales Mm. and i'm driving all over houston and and he just he got a hold of my heart and he gave me eyes to see them and just a heart of compassion for them. Mm. And so for for nine years, and man, this was this was my I, I say my day job was funding my weekend passion. Mm. And about six years, he 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 opened the door and called me into full time ministry. Wow. So, uh, became ordained in 2016 and have just been full on full time ministry uh, since. Oh, it's so incredible to to hear. I I know. One thing you're hoping to do one day or planning to do one day is build a hope recovery center that kind of goes beyond some of these poverty relief efforts and move into healing from trauma and trauma informed care combined with the gospel and the love of Jesus. Can you talk to us a little bit about that dream? Absolutely. So, so yeah, so that's one thing that we've learned um, is the, the, the source of, the the chronic homeless right every single one of them have a story uh, about how they wound up where they wound up and and almost every single one of them includes some sort of trauma mm. that mm. occurred either as a young a, a you know a child teenager or young adult and then outside of family support spiritual support or community support they wind up turning to drugs or alcohol to kind of numb the pain of the past from the trauma and and so this the the idea of um like we all need more jesus right we need mm. revival and we need jesus and so to bring together the kind of the neuroscience of trauma-informed care mm. combined with the grace and mercy of jesus christ is is the curriculum that we're developing for this recovery center mm. um that's really powerful. I, I can't wait to see what God does through that. Uh, Dave, what do people not understand about the homeless? What do you wish that more people knew or had a perspective of when they think about homelessness? Well, I think that, you know, they're, they're not lazy. They're not crazy. They're not <laughs> dangerous, per se. Um, you know, 15 years we've been doing street-level ministry and, and we've only witnessed one um, fight, if you will, between two two other, you know, two homeless individuals. Uh, I mean, this is a, a very uh, safe uh, way to do ministry. And, and like we allow the kids as young as seven years old 
to come out and serve with us. And mm. it really gives them a perspective. Yeah, wow. Like, like what's going on and what the people are really like. I, I, I think just the, the hurting, mm. like to, to see them as, as hurting individuals that need, that need grace, mm. that need mercy, mm. and need healing. Their heart needs healing. I love that perspective because so often you hear kind of what you were talking about before you were part of this ministry. People have sort of a wall up or some ideas they form that aren't mm-hmm. full of compassion mm-hmm. and grace. I think that's such an important call for the Christian. Dave, you're also yeah. part of Samaritan Ministries, and uh, part of their focus is really sharing a concern for the body of Christ, which is so connected to the work that you're talking about What's a way that we can begin thinking about bearing one another's burdens, especially when we consider the homeless population in our various cities? Well, I tell you, prayer, prayer, prayer. You cannot mm. pray enough. We pray constantly for revival on the street, for there to be an awakening, for eyes to be opened, for chains to be released, and just for revival like just the importance of prayer cannot be stressed enough uh specifically when dealing with with the homeless Mm. again dave droll he's uh part of uh a wonderful wonderful ministry that is reaching the homeless in houston called hope beyond bridges we wanted to bring him on just to challenge all of us like, what are we doing where we, it might not be the homeless? And what, what's going on in your community that you can be a part of and just dream and watch God work through? Dave, if people want to learn more about you and your ministry, where can people go to find things out? So you can come visit us on uh, the web. Our uh, uh, web address is hopebeyondbridges.org hopebeyondbridges.org. And I know if you want to reach out to Dave specifically, you can get him at Dave at hopebeyondbridges.org. Dave, real inspiring work you guys are doing. Keep it up. Thanks for sharing with us today. We, we really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. Thank y'all so much, guys. Yep. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. This is going to sound really needy. Can I sound really needy for yeah, a second? please. One I love it. One of my it. favorite things is when people come up and let us know that they li- – hey, we, I listen to the show. I listen to the podcast. I'm always like, oh, that makes my heart Thank feel good. Thank you so much for that. You're, so, you listen. Subscribe, Yay. rate, review, and let us know let that, us that know. you're listening. We, we uh, Sometimes doing radio – let's pull the curtain back. Okay. Sometimes it's just like you and I are talking. We feel like we're in a silo, But we certainly. have to lean towards ma- microphones. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of like that. And then you finish and you go, hey, have a great day. See I'll ya. see you tomorrow. Yeah. You, ne- like, you never really know what happens after that. It just goes out there yeah. into the world. Into the ether. Into the ether. <laughs> and so it's always good to connect with people who are, in fact, uh, listening. All right. I-, I was reading this story the other day. I found it very interesting. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a Democratic representative from New York, is calling on Senator Dianne Feinstein to resign. The latest sign of pressure the California Democrat faces from her own party to step down amid her extended absence from the Senate. Here's why. She's 89 years old. Yeah. And so uh, AOC said she should retire. I think criticisms of that stance as, quote, anti-feminist are a farce. Uh, she's missed some votes and because she missed those votes, they swung the other direction. And oh. so it's the Democrats who are getting mad yeah, me, that yeah. she's not around. Right. I don't know which direction I want to go with this story. So what do you just feel about a Congress person saying that Congress, like stepping into their business yeah. 
Even though she is 89 and appears I to mean, not be able to do the job. Okay, there's a part of me that's just, I'm going to relate it to like, a, let's say a, a an imaginary church meeting of elders. Let's just say. Okay. okay. And let's say you have one elder that just never shows up, keeps, you know, making excuses or scheduling something else or isn't well or whatever. And you're trying to make important decisions around the church. You're trying to move some things forward and you just can't. I do think it's incumbent upon the other leaders to go, hey, are you in or are you That's out? Right. So I I actually I actually understand AOC wanting like, look, we're losing some of our foothold here. If you're not able to show up anymore, it's yeah. probably time to step back. And this goes back to where I know I sound like an ageist, but it's the same thing with like the upcoming presidential nominees i just want us to be operating in a different age bracket i and an 89 year old representative who's fighting shingles and can't show up probably does need to like pass the baton now what's really interesting let's let's dive into the presidential one we've done it before but what's really interesting is i feel like that's uh, i'm hearing that all the time from people like i feel like there if it is biden and trump Mm-hmm. A eighty plus year old versus a seventy seven year old yeah. or whatever. Yeah, there seems to be this real frustration about that, but yet neither party can do neither it. party can. can do anything about or is doing anything exactly. about they it. They can do more than a couple things about it, but yeah. they are not. Yeah, um, it it is fascinating. Let's move this to the church. Okay, how do you honor? Yes. The uh, your elders, yes, while still having conversations like this, because uh. we've seen many churches. I'm just going to be bluntly honest. I've seen many. I could list a couple churches whose their downfall, their going down the other side of the cliff. However, you want they they just lost yeah. all their steam. Yeah, because old pastors stayed too long. Uh. Right. We all know it. None of us want to be that person. Right. I have a friend at church. I I literally have said to him, when I'm the problem, please, please tell, tell me. me. Please tell me. But where you'll see that pastor who's there, 40 years. Yeah. 45. And it yeah. becomes the... Yeah. How do you honor people? How do you honor your elders like we're told to do in the yes. Bible and still have these kind of conversations? Yeah, because ultimately, we're not great at this as white Americans. Like, I feel like there are other cultures that are very good at honoring elders um, so I do think this is where it's great to learn from other cultures. I, I still think we listen, especially the elder generation that has stayed faithful to Jesus. Like we have so much to learn from their life experience, what they've seen, who they know God to be. So I do think like staying in a posture of listening and learning and not brushing aside is so, so important. I think that is a distinction. There's a distinction between that and like, Hey, let me put you in charge of the church finances. Mm. Hey, let me put you in charge of our efforts to reach the whatever. I'm not saying, I mean, this is what's hard is you, especially in the church, like you need everybody to participate no matter what, if you have gray hair or brown hair or blonde hair, like we need all the saints actively pursuing Jesus and contributing the church. So I don't know that there's a line. Like even I just said that and now I'm like rethinking it, but I guess capacity has something to do Mm -hmm, with it mm -hmm. and uh, health has something to do with it. And 
willingness to change. I don't know. I feel like I'm just putting my foot in my mouth, Brian. So you what say words cause now. You, <laughs> you know, in another 40 years, yeah. 30, 40 years, yeah. what would... I would like to think that I know. Clearly, that doesn't happen for a ton of people. I but I, Guys, I just don't want to work at a certain age anyway, but I feel like I would know. Yeah. But what would you... What what kind of things would be going on? Not forgetful stuff, but but just like I feel like for me, if I was still pastoring and I was like, I don't have a good grasp of the culture. I, so I that's what I was thinking. I if don't you look be- like my church yeah, either. If age you wise. begin to not look like your church and probably the community where your church is, mm-hmm. age wise, that's a big sign. Yeah. If you yeah. don't have a good grasp on culture and the questions culture is asking, the felt needs, that's another sign. If you don't have a good grasp, oh, if you're like stubborn to the point of like your mind can't be changed, I think that's another sign as well. Like if you're sort of unwilling to learn from the upcoming generations, I think mm. all of those things are probably signs of like, okay, it's time to pass the baton. It's time to leave a legacy of the next generation rising up. And that can be a good and a beautiful thing too. But I do feel like you also do like to have those trusted people in your life that say, Hey, sis. Hey, bro. <laughs> it's time. The time has come. Because I could see, especially like for church planters like you and I, where it's sort of our baby, it's going to be a little trickier to be like, now we shall leave. Yep. You know, it's yep. going to be a little bit trickier. You know, what's interesting. I My boys and I watched the Jesus Revolution movie oh, just the other night for the first time. And I was struck by um, Chuck's pastor, Chuck Smith, mm-hmm. who, I mean, the story is really about a lot of things, but Pastor Chuck Smith being willing as kind of a older, settled pastor to like change his ways. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, as long as you're willing to do that, it's okay to still be in leadership. And I think this is an issue clearly for politics, right? Like we, you and I say this all the time. Why are all our politicians so old? Uh, But we just did the statistics the other day that in the 90s, the average age pastor in America was 44, evangelical. Right. 44. Now, now it's 52. Yeah. If that trend continues, are we just going to start mad looking like the government? We're we like, might. oh, we it's might. just older and yep. older and older. So kind of a strange story. I wonder. I wonder uh, how we have these conversations about age. All right. All right, I'm going to share. This is almost like a grinds my gears, but it's Ooh, not. So okay. I don't want you to look oh, at it. Okay, okay. I'm going to share with you something that people on Twitter, uh, are. some people are calling unethical. <gasps> oh. I want to know if you what you think about I'm this situation. About this. All right, okay. I'm going to do it next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. All right, I've got a scenario for you. Okay. That I'm going to... People are calling it unethical. Oh. Other people are calling it genius. Oh, okay. But before we, I lay this out to you and get your definitive, you're gonna you're gonna yes. judge it. Okay. Before I can't we wait. do that, there's a really cool opportunity coming up over at Judson University. Yeah, this is so fun. On Friday, May 12th, like Brian said, at Judson University, they're hosting their annual prayer breakfast. The breakfast will be held on their campus from 7:30 to 9:30 a.m. Again, that's Friday, May 12th. You can join local business leaders and members of the community to hear from motivational speaker Sichi Demirkova for a chance to win a pair of tickets. Go to our website, 1160hope.com. Use the keyword prayer. All right. So you travel some. Yes. So this has to do with airplanes. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. I love travel. Things. This one could be unexplainable. Get it plain. That's why if you looked at it, it says here. <laughs> A TikToker user, a TikTok user is sparking debate after they posted a, quote, 
unethical life hack okay. about what to do when someone is reclining their seat <laughs> in front of you on a plane. Gotcha. So they're in, they're sitting in front of you. They hit that button and scooch their the back of their Correct. chair back. And they're yeah. all the way back. Right. They're like, like it smushes you a little bit. None yeah. of us like that. But the question is always, what do you do about it? Is there anything? This video has reached 2 million views. So here's the here's the tip. When you're on a flight and the person in front of you reclines their seat all the way and leaves you no room, they Uh advised, turn on the air blower above you on full blast and pointed at the top (laughs) of their head. That's funny. In the caption of the clip, they also added, the plane ride is so long when you get one of these people in front of you. However, although... Uh, this may be a tip you can fly away with. It drew mixed reactions from viewers with commenters debating the general etiquette about whether or not you should even recline your seat in the first place. All right. So let's start there. This is so funny. I, for the life of me, do not understand why they make airplane seats with the ability to recline. I think that is actually the problem. They should not make airplane seats with the ability to recline. Period. That needs to change. Are you a recliner? Well, so here's what's funny is it is always a debate in my head. Like, I don't recline because I feel bad. Like, I don't want to imposition the person uh, behind me. And and I am pretty comfortable. I'm a smaller framed person. I'm pretty comfortable in my seat without reclining. However, if the person in front of me reclines, I feel the need to recline because suddenly they're in my space and I feel like I don't have enough space. So it's so sort of a domino like a effect. Domino effect that yeah. goes back. I try <clears throat> if I recline, I try not to recline the whole way. And uh, and I am you just it, want to mildly inconvenience mildly, the other person. But I uh, but I do feel a little guilty about it. Like oh, I probably shouldn't do this. I don't know if it's so weird. It's like a weird head game. Every time I travel, should I or shouldn't I? It really is, and, isn't it? And I think the problem would be solved if they just didn't recline at all. So do you judge the person in front of I kind of judge the person in front of me for reclining. I sometimes do. It's funny. It's like the way they recline. So if somebody just like pushes the button and goes back super fast and isn't even like, oh, excuse me, or or I don't know, like does it aggressively, I definitely judge you. I'm a little okay with people who push the button and like slowly, slowly, slow. Like, because then I can tell they're at least considering me, you know? What about doing it like the frog in the boiling water, right? Like, you go like a little, a little, little and then wait for a while. Yeah, a little I think bit more. And I, all of a sudden, they don't even realize you reclined. I, yeah, I think that's the way to do it. But I definitely judge the people who just recline without even thinking about it. Like, it's just their first instinct once that, you know, light goes on so or off. Clearly, or reclining is okay. In, in the world of a... It is. There's nothing it's against okay. rules. They make these to a yeah. recline. So, back to the TikTok user. Right. What do you think about doing something like this to try to annoy the person in front of you enough that they will put their seat up? No. I mean, I think it's really funny, but I think it's terrible. Like, you should not purposefully get, like, a vendetta against that person and then make that uncomfortable. Just recline your seat yourself. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine. You recline, too. What would you do if the person behind you... Blew the air conditioning on me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I... I don't know what I would do. I'm always freezing on airplanes anyway. So I think I would just be like, oh, it's cold on this. Like, I I don't know if I would take it personally. That's what I'm wondering. Like, how effective is this actually out? But can you really you can't really point them particularly at the seat in front of you? Can you? 
Uh, this person apparently felt like they could. Okay. All right, let's broaden this. Most annoying things people do on airplanes. We've talked about this before, and there are several things. Okay, one is as soon as the flight lands, the people who get out of their seat and stand up. I don't know why that particularly annoys me, but I'm like, wait your turn. Like, we all are here. We're all going to be getting off. We're all as antsy as you are to get off the plane just wait. Like I, something about that makes me crazy. Mm. Um, what uh, annoying things more so to me than the um, seat reclining is the like if you've got a kid behind you and they're kicking your seat mm. and the parents don't stop it. I think that's annoying. I'm OK with kids being a little unruly on planes because I've been a mom traveling with little kids and there's not a lot you can control. But the kicking the seat is kind of obnoxious. So two things came to mind for most annoying things on an airplane. Yeah, let's hear. This one, when when you're like, when, when you're walking down the, to get to your seat, mm-hmm. and it always gets backed up because people, you know, are putting their. Yeah, luggage above And someone is trying to put a luggage into the overhead that clearly Doesn't is not fit. going to fit. It's not meant to be there. And they're just banging the heck yeah. out of this thing. Yeah. They're doing that. I, I, That is one for me. The other one that I don't understand is like plane lands, right? They finally get to the gate. Yeah. And there's that moment the um, the uh, seatbelt sign goes off. Yeah. And everyone, that means we've parked. Right, right. right. I don't understand why people then stand up. Yeah, that's what I just said. That's the same thing that makes me crazy. Why do they stand up? But beyond that, so let me add to it. I don't understand why people then, have you ever been where one where they're not only stand up, but they'll get out and start going yes. down the aisle? It's so frustrating. It's so annoying. I don't get that. Yeah, because like we're all, we all want to get off the plane at the same time. I don't know why you think you're better than other. Hmm. The only time it's maybe acceptable is if like the flight is late and you have a gate, you have to get a connecting flight. I could, I could, I almost would appreciate if the flight attendant said, hey, passengers I who have, do a, sometimes. yeah, that's, that's acceptable. The other thing that this is reminding me of is remember there was that footage of that like youth group or something that started singing worship <laughs> songs on the plane. That's another, you like, just, you don't, you don't need to nope, indoctrinate need to other people on the airplane. I think, you know what else kind of annoys me? Ooh, I'll be honest. I've, I've wow. The you have, now. This is like a grinds my gears airplane edition. This is because I'm an introvert and I want like headphones in. I'm watching a movie or I'm reading a book. I am not here to be friends with you. And I know there's a lot of Christian guilt about like you're quote unquote supposed to tell the person next to you on the airplane about Jesus. I don't think that's relationally really meaningful unless God specifically tells you to or like the plane is going down. <laughs> I I don't want you to talk to me. Don't ask me what I do for a living. Don't ask me why I'm traveling. Don't strike up a conversation mm. with me. Don't glance in my direction like to try to get my attention like Let's just assume we're never going to see each other again. We don't need to cross paths. We don't need to exchange information and social media. Like, unless you know me and I know you, or like you're wearing a shirt from the church I used to go to. Like, there has to be a connection point like that. Otherwise, I just don't want you to talk to me. Do you actually know anybody who is 
like laid out the gospel on an airplane to people who is not a speaker bragging about themselves? No, never. I mean, probably <laughs> some people have, and I'm like sure. they're I'm very sure. anointed, and people come to Christ, and like the only people. But I feel I like know it's always speakers. like Rick Warren. Like Rick Warren's like, I shared the gospel with this lady on the plane, and she got baptized <laughs> at my church today. I'm like, good for you, Rick Warren. <laughs> our our story would be like, I shared the gospel with this person on the plane, and they went they, and got the stewardess. They turned the air conditioning on my head. <laughs> <laughs> Brian and I will be back again on Monday. We hope you have a fabulous weekend. We'll be here from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.